the surplus when it comes to capitalism, how in the end they are undervaluing workers and that surplus goes back into advertising, goes back into buying more products uh, so that they can uh, exploit more workers, so that they can buy more products, so they can advertise to you. And it's a vicious cycle that goes upward through Wall Street and trickles down to us, which is why we are being paid pennies on the dollars for our work. What's up, folks? We're back. It's Trevor Femme with Spread Love Free Market right here coming to you with another episode. And just so you know, I'm trying something new. And actually, confession, I did a big-time rookie mistake where I... Oh, let me not record with the headphones. I know how to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Everything is all set up. But, of course wasn't all set up and i just recorded the same episode that i'm going to record right now 45 minutes long went to listen to the audio and my mic was not plugged in of course the one time i decided not to use the headphones because i just want to wing it and mic's not plugged in so ricky mistake i got my headphones on mic's plugged in hopefully everything goes smoothly but um I am coming off of a uh, another shift, another change in the format. I've done about 30 plus episodes. I was just talking to a fellow podcaster and uh, telling her that out of the 30 plus podcasts that I've recorded since uh, November or so, that I have, as you can see, two. This will be the third one that I've published. The rest... I published at some point, and um, of course things change, and um, podcasting is tough, and it takes a while to find your voice, I think I'm finally getting to a point where hopefully, like, every time I make a change, I think I'm finding the voice, so, um, but this time, uh, it's coinciding with uh, finding the messaging in the platform, Spread Love Free Market, and Hopefully the two come together and create something beautiful. So I'm trying something. The format that I'm trying that's a little bit different is initially when I started back uh, last year that it was completely unscripted. It was all impromptu. And then I evolved to having it where it was completely scripted, the complete opposite. But that took so much time to script and making uh podcasting easier to publish and to record and to edit is really a key for me i mean i'm a notorious prolific editor but even for me you know it's like man do i want to do this Uh, so i'm trying something new and basically what that new format is is sort of a recap of the social media posts that I've done over the course of the week. I realized that I put so much effort into those posts, uh, so much design work and so much thought. And it's a culmination of months and months and years of ideas. And I said, why not just reuse that as an outline for the podcast? So here we are. That's what we're going to do. Hopefully it goes smooth. Wish me luck. And um, yeah, here we go. So we're going to start with uh, one of the posts that I did this week. It was a question. 
And the question was, how are you able to provide all of your products for free for the Spread Love Free Market? And I answered that question with a question. And the question that I asked you, which was me, I was asking myself the question. The question I asked myself was, how are you able to watch some television channels for free? And basically, it's the same model. Your attention has value. And that attention allows us to provide the products for free because there are people who want to connect with you who will pay for that attention. Especially when you're talking about hard-to-reach demographics, for example, the black and brown audience, many of them, some of them, I won't say many of them, but some of them may not be as technically savvy in terms of, uh, you know, well, not just black and brown, but elderly people of, uh, who were um, involved in media way before the internet really caught on. And um, these are some of our audience. They free shop and they uh, come to our location every Sunday, by the way, at the Spring Hill SDA parking lot near the trailers. They come there, and we are able to engage them. Every time they place a free order, uh, the email has a flyer that engages them with a local business, and that's the model. That's how television works. That's how radio works. That's how Facebook, Google, that's how they all work. The difference with us is that we are shifting the flow of wealth through the community, we're supporting local businesses, and we are using that surplus. Because when you think about capitalism, and we'll go into that into this uh, when we get more into this episode, when you think about capitalism, and again, I don't like to use labels. I've always said that because it pigeonholes you. But uh, for this uh, point, I think it's apropos. And um, apropos, is that how you work it? Apropos, apropos, I think that's how. Stephen Smith says that a lot, Stephen A. Smith. Um, the surplus when it comes to capitalism, how in the end they are undervaluing workers and that surplus goes back into advertising, goes back into buying more products uh, so that they can uh, exploit more workers, so that they can buy more products, so they can advertise to you. And it's a vicious cycle that goes upward through Wall Street and trickles down to us, which is why we are being paid pennies on the dollars for our work. What we're doing at Spread Love Free Market is we are shifting and changing the flow of wealth through the community. So that surplus, in some estimates, put it at uh, two to one, whereas we, uh, if we were to make this bottle as a plant, working on the, on the floor of a plant, bottling these or whatever it is that people do on the floor of plants, that you really only need to work 20 hours to get this done. That other... 20 hours is surplus, and uh, that surplus is uh, reinvested into uh, growing the beast, that capitalism is about uh, self-growth, perpetuating growth, growth for growth's sake. What we, growth for growth's sake, what we are doing is we are taking that surplus and putting a value on a commodity that's, that we all have, which is time. And that time also equates to attention. And we take that attention, and the one thing in the equation of capitalism that they don't value is your time. They do, but they don't 
uh, only if it benefits them, but we are doing it for the benefit of the community. So when you make a free order, that 40 hours, that extra 20 hours that you are put into this product, that's a buy one, get one free. You get this free, you order it on Spread Love Free Market, and with that order, you get a confirmation email that promotes, let's say, another local product, uh, author that's doing well, sustainable. Uh, uh, Jared Diamond, by the way, you should get this, Guns, Germs, and Steel. It's a really great book. And you, um, now Jared is a local, sustainable author with a great message. And he puts his book on that confirmation email as a flyer or something that you could support. And now that what the flow goes down through the community, and now the uh, bigger businesses, they if they want to be involved in this loop of wealth that is circulating within the community, then they take that surplus that they are uh, that they have now instead of investing it in another big tech, Facebook or Google, they invest it in a community-based model like Spread Love Free Market, and. Through that investment, we are able to purchase this. So that's how it works. Full circle. That surplus goes to getting the free products for you. You value your time knowing your value. And that value is uh, leveraged against the capitalist beast. And uh, they pay a premium for your attention. So I want to go uh, um, a little bit more into that in a little bit more detail. And um, I want to read something that I posted this week. The title was Compelling Practical Radical. CPR, which is an acronym that I used in my days at McCarran Park Activist Group in Brooklyn that launched um, in the summer of 2020, the summer of activism. And it um, describes as this, and I'll read it, Compelling Practical Radical. The model of our free shop is to create sustainable and dignified access to essential and discretionary goods by all our neighbors, regardless of class. This mutual and practical exchange eliminates hierarchy and stigma in meeting the shortfalls in our communities. Recognizing and leveraging our value as free shoppers, vendors, and sponsors is our lead strategy. This starts with our free shoppers. The value our free shoppers bring is their attention. The number of free shoppers that attend our markets is the trigger that sets the table for the value exchanged. Mutual dependency is our byproduct, and as a result, wealth flows through Main Street and away from Wall Street. Through economic justice, we achieve social justice. Compelling, practical solutions is how we achieve the radical change needed to close the wealth gap. CPR, neighbors, and that's a post from earlier this week. Now, I also want to remember we had a anniversary that came up this week, and I posted about it. And I felt like everybody should have posted about it. I saw some of the activists, the main activist groups, uh, Worries in the Garden, uh, Writers, uh, Writers for Justice, I keep I remembering the names, but a few of the activists, uh, some individuals posted about the anniversary of the death of George Floyd, but not, 
when this happened, there was everybody was posting. There were black squares everywhere, and I was again shouldn't set myself up to be disappointed because people get on with their lives. But I thought there would be a little bit more remembrance. It wasn't on any of the media channels that I checked, and um, I'm like, wow, there's a saying. Saying there's a saying that the few activists, there's a few of us that will keep the activism going when everybody else has gotten back to their lives. So I posted something, and it's titled. George Floyd lives in me. On this day, May 25th, 2020, we lost our brother, George Floyd. From this injustice and unimaginable brutality, a generation of activists found each other. I found my activist family at McCarran Park. And in that space, I set out on a solemn pursuit for economic justice through Freedom Market, which is now called Spread Love Free Market. On this anniversary of George Floyd's passing, I took a moment to renew that vow with a revised mission statement. And here is that revised mission statement. The Spread Love Free Market model aims to shift the flow of wealth away from Wall Street and towards Main Street with the purpose of empowering local and BIPOC businesses. Our mission is to create sustainable and dignified access to essential and discretionary goods for all of our neighbors, regardless of class, refining the historically exploited value of our communities for our own benefit and self-empowerment. And the key there is that we are shifting the flow. We want to create a sustainable and dignified access, meaning with some, I mean, it's just a nature of the beast which is that charity is often, it is actually trickle down um, in many aspects. Philanthropy is a very, it's a, it's a institution that does harm in the end because the wealth goes up to the 1%. And they um, now are picking and choosing where they want to uh, send the excess. So that's just a fraction of the excess, not even the bulk of it so and one of those things that happens is that they pick and choose who benefits they also pick and choose what products that they get so when you look at uh, some of these uh, philanthropic philanthropic endeavors the recipients of that kindness they are often left with limited options so there is a now there is a uh, a distinction between uh, the people who can who have their access to essential and discretionary goods and the people who have not and they have to uh, choose from limited uh, supply of resources or products and what we're doing here is allowing dignified access. So spread love free market is the goal is to have it be at least as advanced, as modern, as efficient as any commercial platform and to have a similar uh, in the terms of the range of products that uh, the neighbors can get and it's not just for the people who have not but for everyone 
if we make this platform as uh what's the word i'm looking for that has a variety of goods and products that any other platform has then we should all use it and if we know the model the model is that surplus goes to support those products and that the sponsors local businesses benefit actually from you purchasing because you are now uh, being made aware of the local offerings then the incentive is there to uh, engage with the platform so that allows for more dignified access and then when you talk about this another kind of trickle down which is a government access which which happens from sometimes from a pantry or or from a, a government um, um, charity or you, then again, you may also find that you may not have the options. It may be a food desert situation. Or, but So we are trying to do our best in making that experience of, of access, making it as uh, no distinguish, uh, non-distinguishable from the uh, traditional uh, shopping that we all do, that all the neighbors have. We want to have no class distinction and that's the goal so uh, a mission statement it took you know this is three years of tweaking and thousands of thousands of experimenting and thousands of thousands of trial and error uh, that kind of encapsulated and it's kind of coming to a um a a, a it's kind of crystallizing into a, a more efficient succinct idea and this is what the the mission statement represents this latest version of the mission statement uh, so there we go. Now I also posted something uh, from uh, on Instagram. It was this graphic, and let me get the name of the folks who uh, where I found this graphic. It was from the uh, group, um, the Colonial Action Lab, and they had this graphic that really caught my eye. The title of the graphic is "Divide and Manipulate." And for those of you who can't see me, you can see us at our YouTube link. You can see that in the show notes. I'll describe it uh, to the best of my ability. And so what you have is a table in a room, and you have uh, three individuals. At the center of the table is a Caucasian elderly man who's representing uh, the 1%. And that, uh, on the table in front of him is a plate with dozens and dozens of cookies. Uh, to his left is a Caucasian uh, individual from the working class, and he has a plate, uh, but he has one cookie. To his right, to the right of the uh, one percenter, we have a person of color, black or brown, and he has no plate in front of him. And on the far end of the table is a dozens and dozens and dozens of cookies. And the one percenter says to the working class Caucasian, uh, black, unhoused, trans, Mexican, illegal, native, Arab, Muslim, brown, want your cookie. And he's pointing to the black and brown individual. And for me, that's a graphic that sums up what I try to say. They say art is, a, is the artist's role 
to make the revolution irresistible. And this is an example of that. That's a quote from Tony K. de Bambara. And here you have this individual, 1% with more than he needs, telling this person that can use more but has something that the person that has nothing wants to take your cookie. So the question, just by looking at it, is why doesn't the person in the middle, the 1%er, share cookies with everybody? And that's the question that we ask. This is the motivation behind why we are doing Spread Love Free Market and why there are so many activists who are fighting against uh, this quote-unquote capitalism. Again, I don't like to use the terms because it pigeonholes you, but in some instances is apropos. apropos. Now, another post that I made uh, along the same theme is this. I posted a fact that I came up with on my own based on my observations and the fact is america taught its children to see race in the name of economic prosperity for the one percent and then i posted beneath that a sad fact which is that america taught its children to see race in the name of economic oppression for the 99 percent and the previous graphic kind of encapsulates that and i was uh i've not sure what motivated me to write that, but then after writing that, I remembered a passage from my many sittings at McCarran Gathering in Brooklyn. And then here we had a passage from a book that we read called 400 Souls. And I'll share that with you right now. And it says, the governing white elite had their mindset on reinforcing slavery after putting down the rebellion. And this is referring to Bacon's rebellion. And it continues, in 1680, four years after the rebellion, Virginia, Virginia passed the law for preventing Negro insurrections. It restricted the movement of enslaved people outside plantations. Anyone found without a pass would be tortured with 20 lashes well laid on before being returned at a time when white servants and African slaves often worked side by side. The hand of the law reached in to divide them. A prison time awaited English and other white men and women intermarrying with Negroes or mulattoes. Already any indentured white servant caught running away with an enslaved African person was liable for the entire lost term of service, meaning that the servant risked becoming permanently unfree. The law separated the members of the lowest class by color and lifted one higher than the other. The goal, as it has been ever since, was to offer just enough racial privileges for white workers to identify with their color instead of their class. And that's a passage from 400 Souls in the section Bacon's Rebellion, 1674 to 1679. Check it out. Now, I also want to share a podcast that I was listening to uh, this week. Um, it's... Uh, just a little bit of background about before I share it. So my background 
in terms of economic justice is one from experience, is one from observation, so it went from listening to pundits and economists and using my own moral comp compass to uh, kind of deduce what's right from wrong, what's equal, what uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, basically uh, the golden rule. And in the last three years, that, was, that has accelerated, uh, whereas I saw that the social injustice, it connected, I connected the dots and saw that there was an uh, economic cause behind that. And I realized that the divide and conquer narrative, how, you know, you hear these things and you don't really put the two and two together in, in terms of how it affects your daily life. But as a founder of a delivery company, uh, which is still running, but at the time it was uh, the only thing I was doing, I had a, 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 um, principle that we would pay everyone the same from the founders to the drivers. We we'll all get the same pay. And that's kind of led to one thing led to the other. And I realized that the incentive that's in capitalism to grow, 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 and to hoard and to, uh, to, to maintain wealth is something that leads to more harm in terms of how do you scapegoat classes and individuals. And it, one thing led to another. And over the course of uh, two and a half years, meeting every single day in a space at McCarran Gathering, I learned a lot. I unlearned a lot. And uh, But I say all that to say this, that I never had any formal knowledge in terms of um, being an economist. Um, it was all informal. I always, I always make uh, say that my time uh, the consecutive days at McCarran Gathering, sitting and talking and learning, uh, was my um, PhD. It's where I received my PhD in activism. And um, so one of the things I heard this week was a documentary, and it kind of reinforced, um, ironically, at the time when I'm coming to, uh, when these ideas are crystallizing, I guess I'm allowing myself uh, more space to hear some more traditional uh, points of view, and um, I, uh, hearing things about Adam Smith and how he arrived at capitalism and hearing things about Marxism e even, and the overlaps there, and communism, and all of these overlaps, and again, I don't use these labels because they pigeonhole, but there's commonalities in all of these models, but to see how they are arrived at some of the same conclusions I arrived at with just my observation, experience, and learning and unlearning was um, eye-opening. So here's one of the uh, podcasts. It was a podcast called Upstream, and I want to share something with you. The emergence of capitalism looked different from region to region, from country to country, the process here in the United States was a little different than in Europe. But the rise of capitalism has always included certain procedures, namely the enclosure and privatization of common land and proletarianization, the coercion of groups of people often racialized into an arrangement where they had to sell themselves to an employer on the employer's terms. 
This loss of autonomy and the coercion of the mass of people into wage labor is something that we now simply take for granted. But it's important to remember that people fought, often to the death, to avoid this fate in the early days of capitalism. They legitimately saw it as a form of slavery, hence the term wage slave. But as wage slavery was becoming the dominant socioeconomic relationship in the United States for most people, Africans and African descendants, along with many indigenous communities, were being forced into a much more horrific form of slavery, chattel slavery, which itself was an integral element in the capitalist project. We cannot separate this form of slavery from capitalism either. They exist to support and uphold one another in very fundamental ways. And even when slavery was officially abolished in the United States, African Americans were still subjected to forms of enslavement by other names. You know, this idea that nobody's really free, and, and maybe you... Uh, there's another book, Some of the Some of Us by Heather McGee, where she argues that we are all in this together, and that if we realized that um, it's not a race color thing, but it's a class thing, that we can empower our um, our march to justice, energize our march to justice. Uh, so hearing that, that. You, you know, the the machine that is big capitalism, that it's designed in a way that it's supposed to maximize profits. Of course, we know that maximize shareholder value. But to hear how it devalues at the same time is something that I found how that fits into the equation that we are doing with spread love free market and how we need to know our value. And um, knowing our value, we assign value based on time. We all have equal value because we are all here. Our attention is time. And that's the thing they leave out of the equation of capitalism. They maximize um, work and output, and they exploit that, and they take the surplus and they give it back to us, pennies on the dollar, or trickle down, or however you want to describe it. So hearing that wage that term wage slavery, which I never really resonated with me. I don't remember hearing it. I probably did. Um, it's like, wow, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think that's, uh, so th those teachings I think came from Karl Marx, which is like, wow, I never read about Karl Marx. I don't know. I guess people would, ref would reference him and I will not really know what it is. He was, uh, represented but i heard this i'm like wow there's a lot of similarities there i'm not again i don't use the labels and i there's a distinction i think uh, just in what i've learned and i really will dug deep this this uh past few days and um to, to you know the parts that i would say that where we differ is that he uh, believes there needs to be a violent revolution and that you you have to and that work is a thing that's being exploited. And I think, at least initially, I, I believe that, no, this theory of, of valuing ourselves, shifting the flow of wealth, 
is an evolution that I think um, shifts, changes the game in that the CPR acronym, which I work, uh, which I uh, thought was uh, appropriate for what it is we're doing, C being compelling, P uh, practical, R being radical, which is in a nutshell, give uh, economies and give people compelling reasons, practical solutions that lead to radical change. So the revolution in terms is radical. It's economic. It's a compelling. It's an evolution to a radical change. Um, I, I, so I think that's the main difference. But to hear the overlap in every other way about uh, the, the the exploitation that happens. And I always heard this term that capitalism exploits, and I kind of knew what it is, but never knew what it looks like. So this is the first time in a way that I've heard it laid out in that way. Um, I want to share another clip from that same podcast, uh, and uh, I'll come back with my thoughts. People talk about prisons in America as a form of legal slavery, but even that, I feel like, is not thinking about it big enough. Here's Aisha Khan again. And I think in the same way, thinking about, you know, jobs as a form of slavery is still not thinking big enough. I think just communicating to people that if your survival is contingent on something, not contingent on you caring deeply or showing up for your community, but contingent on you doing X, Y, Z things, and then whether you can and can't do that, whether you can and can't get a job, what kind of job you get is going to be dictated by the privilege that you hold. Late stage capitalism does a really good job of making it very difficult for us to see that we're enslaved, making it very difficult for us to even identify who our oppressor is, because we don't have someone coming to our door, putting a gun to our head very viscerally and forcing us to work. Right. It might be more obvious with prisons, for example, the prison industrial complex. Right. Someone is incarcerated and they're forced to work with little to no wages. OK, but I actually think it's worse when you don't realize that's what's happening to you, but it's just made a lot more palatable so you don't see it. So when someone doesn't come to your door, but since the day you've been born, they socialize you, they normalize you not being free. They normalize you not having the right to live. They normalize you having to constantly prove yourself because you have zero worth and value unless you generate profit for someone else. Then you're going to do it to yourself. So for the longest time, me and many people, almost all people on this planet, will willingly say, you know what? I chose this job. I chose to have this career path. I chose to be here. So I'm going to point a gun at my own head and self-optimize, be more self-productive, self-inflict, self-discipline. And that is what capitalism is in the form that it takes today. And I think that's a lot more insidious in being still slavery, but we just don't see the slave master actively lashing at us. And that's almost worse because we don't know where our pain is coming from. So it takes a lot more, I think, to get to the bottom of that type of pain and that type of suffering because covert violence is a lot harder to point out than overt violence. And that was um, from Upstream. Uh, the myth of freedom under capitalism is the subtitle. And uh, yeah, that really resonated, uh, wage slavery and what resonated also was this idea that 
uh, we have been so conditioned, it's been so normalized. And I've been seeing that, and I think she alludes to how we kind of know something is wrong, but we don't know what it is. It's kind of like that scene from The Matrix, where you got to take, uh, you know something is wrong, and you don't know what it is. You want to take the red pill or the green pill. I am butchering it and paraphrasing it, but um, you, you get the idea. Uh, but yeah, that's um, this idea that we are, kind of this has been all normalized. Uh, that, and I, I've, I've been trying to make myself as aware of my harmful capitalistic tendencies. And I think my first Freedom Market Friday at McCarran Gathering, we had our, our first initial meeting was, what are your harmful capitalistic tendencies? And um, that was the first one, the first one we did. And um, mine was over competitiveness, you know, I'm competitive to a fault. I've got the, the, uh, proverb, the proverbial chip on my shoulder. I'm fueled by competition. I'm fueled by people saying no. I'm fueled by people who attempt to slight me. I take it and I, I use it to motivate me. And um, it's, it feels good. Um, and I've curtailed it a lot, a lot. I would say um, 10% as competitive as I used to be it was really bad. Um, but I still, you know, it's a lifetime of being that way, playing sports and, you know, you play in the parks in New York City, playgrounds, and you got to have the dog in you. And um, so um, and just being... I guess alive anybody who was uh, in this world has to encounter competitiveness on some level, and it's harm. It does harm. Um, but um, there's so much more uh, that I would love to. Um, I would like to share. I'll probably use uh, some more clips in the future, future episodes, and discuss them um, because it's very insightful. Uh, but the one thing that I got out of this is um, that we should know our value. Because that's the first thing. That's where it starts. So if you don't know our value, um, when you're exploited, you won't know you're being exploited. It's the one thing to not have a choice to be so, uh, to have capitalism so ingrained that uh, you can't escape it. You are penalized if you try to, uh, to operate outside of it. But at least if you know it's happening, then you may be able to uh, identify ways in which you can minimize the pain or um, in uh, what it is that we're trying to do is to completely reverse uh, the harm that's being done. Um, and when we say know your value with us, it's time. Your value is time. If you have time to uh, pay attention to a confirmation email from a free product that you bought based on the surplus of the uh, work output that we have done, um, then that's value. And we want to have a big capitalism pay for that value, where value wasn't in the equation before because they want to maximize their profits. So why would they value your time? So identifying that you have value, that when you come to pick up a, a item from the free shop, that that is how you generate currency. We have this thing that we uh, we introduced, that I introduced very early, um, I think in my first speech, before we had our first Friday Freedom Market, and I spoke about refined versus unrefined value. The unrefined value is the value, like time 
or like charisma or uh, or being uh, helpful, information, all of these unrefined um, assets that we have, but uh, we don't know how to refine it, so it just exists. Um, and capitalism, what they do is they refine that value. So you think about Facebook or Google and that unrefined time that you have that you spend looking at uh, social media feeds and they take that time, they refine it, and they offer it to sponsors who want to advertise on Facebook or social media or whatever, TV, you name it. They have refined this unrefined value, whether it's charisma. If you are a talented musician and you can move a crowd, they figured out a way to refine that. You're singing in your living room and you you have some deep gift they created models in the past that will sign you to a deal and monetize that value and they refined it and it happens in every industry from slavery where they refined our work output um, our raw energy and power and uh, took it and refined it into building uh, basically the industry that is the the United States of America. So I say that to say this, know your value, um, know where that value is going, uh, find the models that support that value in a sustainable way. Uh, Spread Love Free Market is one of those platforms in which we redirect that value towards community. Uh, so that surplus goes to supporting your neighbor and not to Wall Street so that we have the power. Once you let the power go up to Wall Street, then you're giving away your power. And that's exactly what's been happening for the last 500 years. Uh, so, um, yeah, there you go. So before we go, I want to talk about another podcast that I want to kind of uh, investigate and talk about and share clips with you. I'll share a little bit, uh, a, a short one right now. And it's uh, called Before Economics. And um, this podcast, again, I don't have a formal uh, training in, in economics, uh, but, and I didn't know much about Adam Smith. Um, I just always hear that he's the father of capitalism. But to hear um, exactly what it is, how he's arrived at uh, his, uh, I guess, his, his most uh, popular uh, work of uh, of, of nonfiction, it was the wealth of nations, and um, I, and I didn't even know that till uh, till uh, yeah, yesterday actually. <laughs> the wealth of nations is what the title was, um, but to hear some of the conclusions that he reached and how they overlap with what it is that we've been finding, um, and I still haven't. I just touched the surface. I literally heard maybe ten minutes of what it is that he did. And um, I want to dive deeper into that, so I want to leave that for a future episode. But uh, there was a uh, clip that I want to share with you first. It's kind of a teaser. And this clip is by Jean Jacques Rousseau. And he talks about um, the individual versus the collective and the, why, and the nature, the natural kind of uh, uh, incentives behind uh, humanity. And anyway, I'm. Before I butcher it, I'll, I'll, I'll 
play it for you and you could judge uh, and we'll come back to it afterwards. Slavery entered human life because government began imperfectly and continued so, with wealth and ambition constantly bending an already weak frame. In fact, sovereign power was first created by the rich to protect their property. In contrast to John Locke, who was prepared to treat government as a natural outgrowth of our rational sociability, Rousseau placed the fears of the rich for their property at the foundation of government. Professor Richard Watmore again. Commerce has developed and property has determined the the force of law in so many societies. Humanity has become more and more miserable. So Rousseau is the philosopher of how awful the contemporary world, the contemporary world, obviously the 18th century world, was and what might be done about it. There's an endless discussion about Rousseau's solution to the problems of the contemporary world, but really in the discourse on, in the second discourse, discourse on the origins of inequality, it's really a a description of how terrible things are and why. That's a teaser from the uh, Before Economics, uh, a passage on John Ducos Rousseau. And um, the origins of inequality was one of the topics that covered there. And uh, yeah, you should give that a listen. I want to probably come back, circle back to this in a future podcast. I brought up this point before, uh, speaking about are we better off for civilization or worse off? And I, and it's becoming apparent now with the um, the planet in terms of, and planet will be fine. So I keep saying, client, you know, save the planet, save us. But, you know, the our environment is being affected and the planet is giving us signs that if you guys don't uh, go back to nature, that nature will take you out. And that's the argument for, that's what this passage kind of, um, kind of um, touches on this idea of what is, when were we the happiest? When is man the happiest? Uh, there are also some counter counter arguments here. I think Adam Smith may have uh, one in a later episode, but I haven't completed uh, listening to the series yet. So I want to come back to this next week, take everything I say right now with a grain of salt. Uh, but overall, over the past three years and over the course of a lifetime, I see a lot of reinforced ideas that are based on experience and anecdotal evidence that I can say, yes, this is uh, something that we need to keep an eye on keep an eye on okay so um there we go there we have it um i want to end with a little shout out for isha makiba one of our vendors uh, you can find her items on spread love indie market so we have free market and we have indie market spread love indie market is where you can support our entrepreneurs and purchase their items and sometimes we put some of their items on the free market as well all of the essentials and the groceries will always be on the free market but then we have the discretionary products uh, local vendors and makers on our uh, traditional shopping platform so go head on over to spread love in the market as well uh, spread love in the and support our local vendors there as well especially if you live in florida florida is where we are based we don't ship it's about keeping it local and we do deliveries and we do pickups at our sunday market and this promo i'll give a shout out for the sunday markets at the spring hill seventh day Adventist church every sunday from 11 till noon you can find us there head on over to the website spread love free market you can place your order and pick up your items there 
So until next time, this is Trev FM. Thank you very much for listening in again. Hopefully this new format, it feels good. I feel like um, it captures both the uh, kind of spontaneous, organic uh, feel of the unscripted format that I did very early on. And at the same time, I don't go off on tangents. Uh, it's more, uh, more focused and more efficient, which is uh, the format of my later podcasts, which were completely scripted. So I'm going to continue this, this format where we just take our um, postings from social media and discuss them in more detail so you can follow us right here spread love free market the podcast so head on over to spreadlovefreemarket.com for more information once again i'm your host trev fm and i'll see you next time